Welcome back. I'm Charlene Pickram, Mental Health Let's Talk About It's host. And let's continue talking with Shailene Jones, who is the Executive Director of Eating Disorders Nova Scotia. And so, Shailene, when it comes to early indicators, what can teachers, parents, loved ones, friends, because everybody needs to be involved and aware, what can we be looking for? That's a great question. So there's a couple of things to be to be mindful of. So looking at um, someone's kind of overall attitude towards food and eating and all that. So if there's been a sudden shift, um, labeling foods as good or bad, a- avoiding food, mm-hmm. as well as avoiding family and friends and avoiding activities they used to enjoy. So you're looking for that kind of that shift in their, their attitude and their behavior around family and friends. Yes. Um, folks who... Um, may be experiencing distress when they don't have control over what they're eating or when they're, when they're eating, things like that. Mm-hmm. Looking for changes in their overall energy level um, and some changes to how they're actually eating. So, you know, we talked earlier about how genetic loads the gut and environment pulls the trigger. So folks who may be engaging in an eating disorder may have really erratic food and eating behaviors. So they may be overeating, undereating, secretly eating, just a real fixation on food. Mm-hmm. So you've got that com- combined with the changes in kind of how they seem. So they may have kind of lost the sparkle in their eye mm-hmm. um, or not having enjoyment in other activities they used to enjoy. Um, talking about themselves in a negative way. So you kind of see this cluster of behaviors. That's a good opportunity for a conversation around that. Mm-hmm. For the someone who might be experiencing an eating disorder themselves, people say, you know, do, do you think I have an eating disorder? You know, they're like, oh, you know, I think you've described me. And so the question I ask folks to ask themselves is, you know, how much of your life do you spend mm. thinking about eating, exercising, avoiding food? How much yeah. of your life is consumed by this? And if they're saying, oh, well, no, okay, just maybe I, you know, I maybe overeat once in a while, for various reasons, <laughs> but they don't think about it, you know, the next day. So they're like, you're, you know, probably you're good to go. Yeah. But if you're spending um, increasing amounts of time doing the math in your head and thinking about how much you ate and how much you exercised, and if if this is becoming something that's taking on significant time and energy for your life, mm-hmm. not to say that that's a diagnosable eating disorder or not, but that's a really good opportunity to to, to look at what may be going on there and to seek some support around that. Start having the conversation. Mm-hmm about why are you kind of fixated on this and and does it is it linked to the self-esteem and how we view ourselves because I'm aware that you know some people look in the mirror and what they see Mm -hmm. isn't really what's present absolutely and you know these are such complex illnesses so I really want to underscore the role that biology plays yeah. and the way that our, our brain wiring plays. So, mm. you know, certainly our, our, the culture we live in that um, has, you know, equates thin with health and being lovable and deserving, like, you know, that level of toxicity that the soup that we're all marinating in, yeah. that really creates a culture mm-hmm. in which eating disorders can thrive, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have someone who is, you know, genetically at risk for an eating disorder, who has all those personality factors, then probably a family history of depression, anxiety, and eating disorder, you know, really high high family history correlation there. If you have someone who kind of comes to the table, as it were, with this these risk factors, mm-hmm. and then because of the world that we live in, 
you know, girlfriends going on a diet, you know, needing to do some emotional self-regulation, finds restrictive eating or binge eating helps with that. Once they engage in those behaviors, you know, it's like a Rubik's cube coming together and all these things mm-hmm. click into place and it can trigger an eating disorder if that's binge eating, bulimia, anorexia, any variation of those things. Mm. So co-occurring um, issues are do certainly play a role. So, are, you know, when w- those early indicators, there's some c- concern, there's been some conversation, um, and people are wondering what to do next. Yeah. What, what are people's options? Because we know if you're concerned, step up. Mm-hmm. Like this is the time to address the concerns and try to get early intervention in place yeah. for the betterment of that person. Yeah. So I would, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, if we have this image we talked about earlier about you know, anorexia being very, very slim, and mm-hmm. that is... Um, not the norm. That's kind of an unusual thing, right? So don't, if you have a child who you're concerned about, um, for them not to be underweight isn't cause for concern. So any weight loss, even if you have a child who is coming in at a higher weight, if they're starting to lose weight, you know, we don't want kids to be losing weight. That's, you know, we we really don't want that dangerous situation to occur. So if you have a child who is, you know, withdrawing, who's not being, who's not engaging in things that they enjoy, um, who is purposefully trying to to restrict the food that they're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're finding candy wrappers in their room. Like if if you've got any of these flags, yeah. Um, regardless of what their weight is, talk to your doctor. Call Eating Disorders Nova Scotia. Nice. Oftentimes people think, well, my 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 child isn't thin enough to have an eating disorder. I don't need to worry about that. But we, mm. you know the implications of an eating disorder can occur regardless of weight. It's about yes. the weight loss and what happens to the body when they're, they're engaged in that restrictive eating or binge eating. That's really problematic. Mm-hmm. So if folks um, don't have a family doctor, um, we can help them um, give them some resources they can take to a walk-in clinic. Nice. So there's some questions you can ask. There's, you know, there's no, there's no magic test you can take to see if you have an eating disorder. No, no. Right. There's not a blood test, unfortunately. Um, but there are some, some the blood work you can take. You get some heart rate tests that you can do. So we can kind of help give t- folks some information on what to ask a doctor to nice. check when they go in. Yeah, yeah. I, so I was unaware of that. So great piece of information to have in our tickle trunk, yeah. right? I also want to mention, too, that, you know, um, most physicians practicing in Nova Scotia have maybe two hours of training on eating disorders. Mm. So it can be really helpful to do your homework and to kind of know what to look for. Um, but if you go to your doctor and you're really concerned about yourself or your child, um, if your doctor doesn't see your concerns, um, don't mm. take that as a sign that everything is okay. It, it, might, it might not be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as individuals we really need to start advocating for ourselves and do evidence-based research before we go in and see our doctors because they are overloaded as you said two hours of training is not going to always provide them with the knowledge they require so you know if you are concerned reach out to, you know, yourself, the eating disorders in Nova Scotia, get the information mm. um, and and get the support and get some guidance 110%. And so what 
else does uh, eating disorder Nova Scotia, what exactly do you guys provide yeah. in regards to supports? Mm -hmm, yeah, so we're, we're a virtual organization. So we offer peer support wherever people are at across the province. So we mm -hmm. do this using some um, some technology, essentially, yeah. um, and you know some um, old school emails to to <laughs> connect with folks. So we we provide um, a range of peer support services to folks, and we really you know again believe that no one should have to go through this alone, mm. and that folks who have lived experience um, can be great supporters with with training and support. So we have a, a team of trained peer supporters who have expertise through the recovery process. So nice. it's not. It's not just that they've been that they've had any disorder; they've been through recovery. They know what that's like, and they've been mm. through the ups and downs. Um, and then they're trained according to the national standards for peer support. They're part of an ongoing community practice, ongoing training and support. So they're wow. we we really support them well to provide that that care for others. So they're not going to mm -hmm. out there on their own. It's really important to us. Yeah. Um, so we we know that when folks are ready to seek help. Um, they're ready in that moment, and we want to grab them then and connect them right away. We don't want to say, well, we'll put you on a list, and in mm. eight months, we'll see how you're doing. So we try to respond to people, usually within 24 hours of the first response, and we wow. usually get them connected to a peer mentor within 48 hours. Oh, that is awesome, Shailene. Yeah. So we, we offer a couple of things. We have an online chat, which is super easy to access. We offer that twice a week. So folks almost never have to wait more than a couple of days to get some get access to a support. Mm -hmm. So the chat is it's anonymous, it's accessible from, from anywhere in Nova Scotia. They just need a, a smartphone, a laptop, a, you know, any any electronic device they can connect to that. Yes. Um, and we offer that twice a week. So we have our trained moderators who facilitate those discussions. It's Sunday night and Wednesday night, seven to eight fifteen. Wow. Um, and they just need to contact us. So they do a quick survey, they get a code and then they're good to go to access that online support. That's phenomenal. It's quite. It's a new program for us. We launched it fairly recently, um, and we um, we started tracking in November. We've had about 170 unique requests for support since we started tracking back in November. Wow, November, December, January, February, March, because you wouldn't have the data for April. Nope. So in five <laughs> months, you've reached out to 170 or people have reached out to you, yeah. and you've yeah. put in resources. Mm -hmm. So the ripple effect, right? Yeah. For the, the individual who's reached out, the mm -hmm. family members, the community, that is phenomenal. Yeah. And then so that's kind of the easiest access. We know that within three days of contacting us, they're going to be connected to online chat, depending mm -hmm. on what day of the week they call us, right? Or yes. email us, right? Email, yeah. <laughs> Instagram message us, whoever they reach out to us. Um, and then from there, we also have our one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Mm. So that's a more intense type of support. Um, they're matched with one of our recovered mentors, mm. and they do tailored, personalized support for that person. And they can do that over Skype, over phone, via text. They can meet in person. They can meet for coffee and sack, but wherever the person is at, mm -hmm. we can meet them there and um, just really provide some encouragement and cheerleading and, you know, support that recovery is possible and all that kind of great stuff mm -hmm. that that peer supporters can do. Yeah. And so how many peer supporters do you have currently? Mm -hmm. We have, we're just uh, finishing up a training session now, so we're going to have 10 peer supporters. Okay. So they have a substantial load. They do well. They're they're uh, they all do this um, 
they have regular lives, regular jobs. They don't do this full time. Wow. So each of them usually works their own four people, people okay. each. So they're not kind of doing this full time. Yes. Um, they're occupational therapists, and we've got a pharmacist and a social worker and students, and they come from all walks of life. Love that. Um, and just bring their lived experience and are passionate about supporting others, and they 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 you know do this on on their own time. It's amazing. Wow, that is amazing because, again, that indicates to the person how worthy they are that people are willing to give of their own time I think when you've been through this illness you know what it's like and Mm -hmm. I think I can speak for you know myself of course and the peer mentors that you never want someone else to have to go through this alone Mm. yeah amazing all right we're going to take a break please stay tuned in the CIOE 97.5 FM and we'll be right back with Shailene Jones who is the executive director of eating disorders Nova Scotia you're tuned in to CIOE 97.5 Community Radio. Thank you for joining us for Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I'm Charlene Pickram, your host and owner of Pick Empowerment. I want to thank our worldwide listeners for tuning in. And tonight's guest, we have Shalene Jones, who is the Executive Director of Eating Disorders Nova Scotia. Welcome. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here this morning. So... Shalene, what is Eating Disorders Nova Scotia and what are some of the services that you guys provide? And it's regional, but how are you, I guess, impacting Canada and further? Mm, great question. So we, Eating Disorders Nova Scotia, we, we believe that, that no one should have to face an eating disorder alone. So we uh, have been led by and were founded by folks who have been through an eating disorder. And so that really guides all of the, all of the work that we do, that belief that no one should have to go through this illness by themselves in isolation mm-hmm. without having someone to walk that journey with them. Yes. So that's really kind of our, our, our vision. And we also really strongly believe in the power of peer support. You know, so, so we... we believe that folks who have that lived experience, who have been through the recovery process, Mm. um, have this unique expertise and we leverage that through our peer support programs to support folks who are in the recovery process to help them move their way through this illness. Yeah, and and I agree. Experiential learning Mm -hmm. and being able to have that level of understanding to work with others and to be an example mm-hmm. to others that you can overcome. Yeah, yeah. There's so much shame with this illness. And we find that, you know, connecting with someone who has been through this, who understands, who is uh, empathetic and judgment-free, you know, mm. that, that goes a long way. Yeah, certainly does when you want to share exactly what is happening with you. And there are so many different medical issues that come up for individuals on top of the mental health or mental illness issues when it comes to eating disorders. Yeah, yeah it's, it's um, somewhat always startling to me to think about how common these illnesses are. You know, we often think about anorexia and bulimia and, you know, anorexia is actually the least common of, of all the, the eating disorders. So we kind of have this image in our head of how someone who has an eating disorder looks and yeah. from like the TV movies to everything else. And it's someone who's struggling with anorexia who's, you know, a white, straight woman who's very thin and, you know, long hair. And, and of course, you know, it, it, eating disorders impact everyone, um, but that's not really the face. And so no. the surprising thing is you really can't tell who has an eating disorder 
by how they look. You know, body weight is not an indicator of if the person has this illness or not. Mm. And that is so important for people to understand. And we're going to talk more about that as we go through the show. Um, But for our listeners, what was your journey? Because I know your journey. (laughs) It's quite extensive. Um, But share with our listeners, how did you find yourself being the executive director and, you know, the learning process Mm -hmm. that led you to being the advocate? Because you're the number one advocate. (gasps) Oh, (laughs) I don't know if number one, but uh, thank you. So, you know, for me, um, you know, my journey started when I went through the recovery process of having an eating disorder. So when I was... um, in my, my teens and early 20s, you know, I, I struggled with an eating disorder. Mm. And as part of my recovery, I started getting involved with a community-based organization. Um, this was, you know, many years ago in a different province, a different galaxy, it seems <laughs> like. <laughs> but for me, being connected to, you know, community-based organization, um, I, I was surrounded by folks who understood what this experience was like and who mm. were also pro-recovery and, um, you know, moving forward in their own lives in a positive way. And being part of this supportive community, um, uh, looking back, I know that's what kept me on the road to recovery and kept wow. me well. You know, so I had therapy and I had all this other stuff, mm. but it was the the huge shift in um, my perspective and my circle of support that really made the difference. Kept me honest with myself mm. and fighting towards you know pushing through every step of that road to recovery because recovery is a very long process. You know, it's years and years and years of, of really intense work and being yeah. able to keep fighting that fight and, and not think, well, this is good enough, you know, mm-hmm. but to continue with this circle of support. To me, that was completely transformative for my recovery process. So that's kind of where my journey started. Yeah. Um, I was volunteering with this group and then I went on to become a coordinator, one of the programs and, and just kind of started working in this field. Um, I think I was 19 when I first started volunteering wow. and working and and so that's just kind of been my my path since then so I've been working in the field of, of community-based eating disorders um, went on to uh, to become the executive director for Langhouse for a number of years mm-hmm. um, been involved with uh, peer support Canada for a couple of years so I've kind of been involved in this eating disorders mental health peer support yes combo world for 20 odd years yeah and advocating Every position that you've been in has been positive, proactive, um, education-based. Um, and, and so where do you see yourself going to? Because, you know, in this journey, I'm sure when you first started, you didn't imagine no. that this is where you would be, right? So if I said to you, where do you see yourself in three years, five years as, as an advocate, as somebody that has, you know, credibility and validity in this area? Yeah. There's two things I'd like to see, you know, so, so one is what I hope for my province. So, Mm. you know, we, we don't have great statistics in Canada. We're not doing a great job of keeping track of, of, um, incidents, prevalence rates, doctor's visits. We have, you know, the data gap is a real thing for eating disorders, like many, many illnesses in Canada. Yeah. But from other research, we know that about between 7 and, and 9 and 10 people never seek help for an eating disorder. So the vast majority wow. of folks who are struggling with this illness 
do not come forward, do not seek, not seek treatment, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we know so clearly from all the research, all the, all the evidence, that the sooner you can treat an eating disorder, the easier it is. The less yeah, yeah. expensive, exhausting, draining, you know? So you're like, we want to get catch folks at the beginning of the illness. Mm -hmm. We don't want to wait until the, the disorder becomes really entrenched and they need acute specialized medical care. Yeah. So my hope for our province is that we can shift that number. You know, if we mm. could get, you know, a one or two or three percentage shift <laughs> on that and really encourage folks who might be struggling with an eating disorder um, to examine that, to look to look at what resources they can tap into. Mm. And so we've created all of our programs to be super low barrier. And by that, mm. I mean... Um, there's very little extra work folks have to do to get support from us. So they nice. have to contact us. Yeah, yeah. That first step. <laughs> That's the first step. Yeah. Right? So we, we try to meet our, our groups where they are. So we know that eating disorders tend to cluster in two groups. They tend to cluster in young young women, generally speaking, yeah. um, and then in older women. We see a second clustering. And, of course, they also impact um, men and, and folks mm -hmm. from all age ranges. But those are kind of where the biggest clusters are. Yeah. So we sought out platforms where those groups tend to be. So we're quite involved on Instagram for the younger group and Facebook for the older group. Nice. And we're really trying to, to reach people where they're at. Um, and we know that the scare messages say, oh, eating disorders kill and they're deadly and, you know, they're terrible illnesses. While it's true, doesn't really inspire folks to reach out for help. No, exactly. So we really want to focus on um, these are highly treatable illnesses that people can and do fully recover from. And with support and with treatment, um, people can go on to lead the lives they, they want to live free of these illnesses. Yeah, yeah. And the like you said, the early intervention, the awareness that you're not alone, that so many individuals struggle with eating, mm -hmm. eating in general. Like what, what is proper eating? How do we... Um, nourish our bodies properly um and and the impact that society has on our eating disorders so that uh the nurture aspect what what is influencing our individuals in society to feel a certain way and then yeah do, do kind of express that by eating or not eating yeah. These are incredibly complex illnesses. You know, there's biological factors and the social cultural factors, and they're very complicated illnesses, you know, but we've come a long way in the last 20 years. So we yeah. were pretty, we have a fairly okay sense of kind of how these develop. Um, and the evidence is pretty clear that um, folks can be at risk genetically because of their personality factors, the way their wiring works. So there's like a high genetic risk for these eating disorders. Mm. And that what we called dieting, basically being on a restrictive, low-calorie diet, um, getting a negative energy imbalance, which is mm -hmm. what we're all told to do to lose weight. Yeah. So go, go, dieting or being on a restrictive diet can trigger the eating disorder to start. So yep. um, a great researcher, clinician out of Toronto, says that genetics loads the gun and environment pulls the trigger. Mm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I've never heard that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I do a lot, you know, the nature and nurture and mental illness. And so it's interesting to hear different perspectives and how to express that to individuals so they get it. Yeah. Because that's very loaded. Like mm -hmm. you said, um, the biological aspects of it. And it's not about blame. It's about 
understanding so that we can yeah. put interventions in place mm -hmm. early. Yeah. So I think, you know, if people say, well, how do we prevent eating disorders from happening? And of course, these are like incredibly complicated illnesses. So that's, you know, a challenging question. And researchers haven't come up with a magic formula for that. No. But I think, you know, we all kind of come up with our genetic baggage and how we're wired, how our brains work and, and how we respond to stressors and all these things are personality types. But I think if there's one behavior that we could collectively stop doing, it would be restricting calories. Mm. We don't want to get that negative caloric situation happening. Yeah. So that's one thing we can do. It would be, you know, if you can end diet culture, <laughs> stop, stop with the dieting, that's going to have mm. a huge impact on, on everyone's quality of life, really. Yeah. And the shame aspect that goes with that, you know, why do we go on diets? Well, we go on diets because society is telling us that we're not fitting into yeah. society's expectations of us. And yeah. And that's unfortunate. And so um, we're going to take our first break. You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it. And we'll be right back with Shailene Jones, the Executive Director of Eating Disorders Nova Scotia. Thanks for staying tuned into Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I'm Charlene Pickram. And my guest is Shailene Jones, the Executive Director of Eating Disorders Nova Scotia. And so... We've been talking about many different layers in regards to eating disorders, and I, I think it's important for us to address that um, the highest death rate of any mental illness is from eating disorders. That's so, you know, that's, that's impact right there. Hello, wake up people. This has a serious impact on individuals, not just the individuals that are experiencing it, but the individuals who are living with these individuals. So let's talk about body shaming and bullying, Shailene. What, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating when you look at the research around what, you know, what can we do to prevent eating disorders and obesity? So when you look at the, the, the parallels in the research there, the common denominator between all of these is weight-related bullying. Mm -hmm. And the evidence is really clear that the best predictor of um, adults carrying extra weight is bullying around weight and weight shaming as mm -hmm. adolescents and as children. Yeah. So if we were to look at one thing to target, it would be um, weight shaming and bullying around weight and size, and that's sizeism and size stigma, and all those things that we do in our culture mm -hmm. um, around judging people based on how they look and their weight. Yeah, yeah. And, and so what would that look like if we were to potentially change that? Where does that need to start? Can you imagine if we just collectively as a society said, you know, we're just going to accept everyone for how they naturally look. And some mm. people are naturally thin and some people are naturally coming in at a higher weight and yeah. everything is great and we're not going to judge people based on the size of their genes. Like that would free us all up so much mm -hmm. <laughs> emotionally and intellectually. And can you imagine what we could do as a, as a group of people if we took that energy that we devoted to trying to, um, you know, stick to a, a restrictive diet or to get in those extra steps in a day if we took mm -hmm. all of that mental energy and put into something that was actually productive what we couldn't accomplish yeah yeah and 
And, you know, I love what you said about that biologically, we are, our body size is determined. Mm -hmm. I know because people say to me, oh, you're so thin. Oh, you must eat right. You must exercise. I am not. You know, it is, I always say, I have good genes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's my mother's side. um, And, you know, I... I do watch what I put into my body. I try to exercise, but I am not a saint, you know. Um, and and it's unfortunate that I even have to have that conversation or that people say that to me because I know they're comparing themselves, yeah. and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And we even equate, like, restricting our food with being good. And so yeah. we have all these, like, this, like, immense cultural baggage mm. that we associate with the form our bodies take, which mm-hmm. is divorce from medical science around how there's a diversity in body sizes and types. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and often folks who do are weighing uh, coming in at, at a higher weight, um, are, can be just as healthy. You know, there's a great study that came out of Norway through a couple of years, ages ago now. Yes. But it showed that the group of women who were the healthiest and had the highest life expectancy and least amount of health problems yep. were women who are between 10 and 15% over, you know, quote unquote overweight, mm. but mm. who did not diet. Yeah. You know, I'm like, there you go. <laughs> you know, so if we took that energy we put into trying to make ourselves smaller mm-hmm. and judging others who don't fit into a cultural stereotype, we could do amazing things with that energy. Yeah. Accepting self because yo-yo dieting mm-hmm. is so detrimental yeah. to our our health. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, mean, I, I could talk about this for, for <laughs> hundreds of years. So, so, that, so that yo-yo dieting and that weight restriction that, that sets us up for binging and purging. Mm-hmm. So we know biologically that restricting your food, you know, biologically leads to binge eating. And yet mm-hmm. we can constantly set ourselves up for like, well, we're going to go on this diet. It's going to start Monday. I'm going to do all this great stuff. And we're, you know, we're not designed to eat that way. Yeah. Um, and we know that all these things, you know, this cultural fixation with thinness, the um, cultural preoccupation with restriction as being a good thing, mm. um, the clean eating movement, all these things create a culture where eating disorders can thrive and it drives yeah. up levels of eating disorders and it drives up levels of obesity in our country. Mm. And suicide. And suicide, yeah. Mm. So, you know, it's, Again, helping people understand where it starts Mm -hmm. and the detrimental effects that it has. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope that people think about that. You know, body shaming still occurs. I see it. Mm -hmm. I see it on the internet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see it in relationships. Um, You know, I can even say that I've probably engaged in it myself over the years. so, you know, again, it's that having the awareness so you can be accountable as a person. Yeah, yeah. And we, we can, you know, we live in this culture, but we're part of it. Mm-hmm. And it's not going, our culture isn't going to change on its own magically. We're, we're the ones that contribute to it. So yeah. it really starts with us saying, enough. This, is, this isn't helpful for any of us human beings to live in this culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and to stop the body shaving. Um, and, you know, to... to, to embody that for those who are around us, you know, cause we're, you know, we're fully grown adult women. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> are. <laughs> we're the grown ups in the room and we have to say enough. 
yeah. and to um, say it's it's not okay to do this so that, you know, the younger folks will um, follow suit. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we are products of society and we have our own perspectives that aren't always healthy. Yeah. And and so, you know, we you and I talked a little bit during the break about, um, well, how do we potentially address this in the school systems? Mm-hmm. Because this is where body shaming and bullying on many instances well even in people's homes yeah. is occurring right yeah you know when we look at the research i think one of the, the biggest indicators around um disordered eating eating disorders and obesity there's a really interesting intersections there mm. um weight shaming in the home it's a huge factor for that mm. so that that family teasing about like oh do you need an extra bowl of ice cream and you're a big girl you're a big boy like we have to be so mindful as parents and as adults that we we really critically examine where those messages are coming from mm-hmm. and challenge ourselves to to change that narrative. Yeah. And the role modeling that you mm-hmm. in your home are showing yeah. to so if you're a uh, individual who is constantly on a diet mm-hmm. and you're saying, "Oh no, I'm not going to take that yeah. extra portion yeah. or I'm so bad for eating that cake." Like, mm, <laughs> yeah, so for a kid yes. who has no genetic risk factors, like they're going to say that it's not going to have an impact in the same way. Yeah. But if you have a child or a young person who's a genetic risk um, and that they see that behavior and they internalize it and they start yeah. restricting their food, that is what can trigger an eating disorder. Yeah. And particularly if they are provided positive reinforcement mm-hmm. for the behavior, yeah. right? You're almost leading the lamb to slaughter, unfortunately. I know that doesn't sound very nice, but we have the ability to influence others particularly as adults Mm -hmm. our children are looking up to us and something else that you said earlier in the show that i really like shailene was saying good and bad right so i say that in regards to emotions emotions are not good or bad they just are Mm -hmm. they're trying to tell you something food is not good or bad um we're trying to feed and nurture our bodies. Mm-hmm. We need it mm-hmm. to live well. Yeah. And it's when we restrict ourselves that our body is negatively impacted. Exactly. Yeah. And we see that, you know, with, with the mortality rate for eating disorders. And mm. the mortality rate cuts across all eating disorders. It differs from diagnosis to diagnosis. But um, a lot of those deaths are from suicide. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are from... Um, heart failure, heart attacks, heart problems. It comes from that, that weight cycling. Yeah. So it's, again, eating disorders need to be taken seriously. Even if someone does not, you know, weigh that uh, scary number, um, it, it cuts across the board. And within an illness, that's the third most common mental illness in Canada. That's the third most common chronic health condition for adolescents. We have to take these seriously. Wow. That's phenomenal numbers. Like, really, I... I mean, I did some research, mm-hmm. so but it takes yeah. a little while to, you know, sink in. Yeah. So, you know, educating individuals on a, you know, day-to-day basis. Again, how do we do that in the society that we live in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, does it need to start in the school system? Um, where else can we introduce it? it mm-hmm. Is there other, like... 
I guess, what are the other options uh-huh. that are out there <laughs> that maybe not are in play, but yeah. in an ideal world, Shailene, what would you that like is... to say, see? Yeah. So, you know, I've been really impressed with some of the curriculum we have in our school systems right now. And I've got a, a 13-year-old who, mm. you know, is learning a lot and passing this on to me. So, you know, he's learning about weight shaming and bullying and stigma, and he's learning about anxiety and depression in school. Yeah. So I, I just think that our teachers are doing a phenomenal job right now with, with the resources and tools that they have to really get kids thinking critically, identifying warning signs. Um, and I, I think that that education is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much information there is available on eating disorders. I don't think it's very much in the schools right now. Right. Um, so that's an area that we could definitely explore further. Mm-hmm. Um, but the baseline of having kids being able to identify their feelings to be able to regulate their moods, to be able to ask for help. Yeah. Um, those are some really critical things in, in aggressively dealing with eating disorders. Mm, they're proactive approaches yeah. Yeah. that will help these mm-hmm. children, youth, in many aspects yeah. of their life. Well, in every aspect of mm-hmm. their life. Mm-hmm. Um, they could be potentially life-saving. Yeah. So the things like having schools plus counselors on staff, great yeah. move mm. um, and teaching all of our kids um, that we come in all different sizes and shapes that we we're not judging people based on the number on a scale mm-hmm. and that we're regulating our emotions those are some really great foundation pieces yeah get rid of the scales yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's that's another thing uh, but hey so this is our final break when we come back we'll wrap up our conversation with shailene jones on uh eating disorders you're listening to cioe 97.5 fm in the final segment of mental health let's talk about it on cioe 97.5 fm i want to wrap up by focusing on positives How can we as individuals enhance our awareness of mental health, mental illness, and make positive choices to live well and advocate for self and other when support is required? So Shailene, give us kind of an overview of all of the positives that are out there in regards to eating disorders and what eating disorders Nova Scotia provides to individuals who are challenging or being challenged by mm-hmm. eating. Yeah. So we've, we've talked about, you know, how common eating disorders are and how deadly they are and the, co- you know, the contributors. But I think, you know, the most important thing is that a full recovery is possible. Mm. That people can and do completely heal from these illnesses and go on to, you know, to lead the lives they were meant to lead with, without them. And you're a prime example. <laughs> Woohoo! And, you know, I've had the privilege and pleasure of working with dozens and dozens of people who have been through this. And, it's, you mm. know, it's like one of these things where you say publicly, oh, look, I had an eating disorder. And, you know, people say, oh, I, I did too. And mm. I've had conversations like security guards and waitresses. And, like, you know, it's such a common experience that so many of us have been through. Yes. Um, so I think there's great power in saying, like, me too, I've been through that too. And we know that with the, the, the prevalence rate for these eating disorders, that folks who have recovered are all around us. Yes. So for anyone who's out there who's thinking, you know, this sounds like, this sounds like me, mm-hmm. um, I want folks to know that um, they don't have to struggle with this illness alone and in silence. 
Yeah. Um, we know that there's so much shame and isolation that comes with these behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, and these, these illnesses are so challenging to, to deal with, but they don't have to do it alone. That We can connect with them with someone, one of our trained peer mentors who's been through something similar. Um, and we can kind of help them find their path back to recovery. Yeah. And then it's an amazing thing to be free of this, this illness. Yeah. Yeah. The monkey, uh, the monkey on the back, yeah. right? Like, are you going to let it? And I always go back to how, be stubborn. You're mm -hmm. worth it. Yeah. Like if you would fight for somebody else, fight for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like really put yourself out there as hard as it is. And I know it's hard. Um, you know, I've expressed with my own anxiety and depression, reaching out for the first time was incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. um, but now that, you know, I talk about it freely, and like you said, more people than not say, oh, I have anxiety, or I've experienced depression, or a family member, or we are not in a bubble. Yeah. There are so many people who are one, struggling, but who are also living well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we talked about that sometimes stress or different things can trigger mm -hmm. individuals, but what are the different resources yeah. or, or supports that you have available to help people? Yeah, I, th I think that, that fear of relapse is, is, a, is a very real fear. You know, many of the folks we at least I speak to, you know, there's that fear that you've, once you've gotten some freedom from the eating disorder and the eating disorder has kind of lost some of its grip on you, yeah. there's always that fear that you're going to go back, that something's going to happen and you're going to get stuck back in that again. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately relapses are a part of the recovery process. Mm -hmm. One of the things that our peer mentors do really well is help people plan for relapses. So, you know, we know they're going to happen. There's, there's no shame in that. It's an opportunity to get out your flashlight and shine a light on what was going on there and to, to plan for when it happens again. Yeah. So it's not like we're never, if you're running, you're never going to fall down. You're going to fall down. So recovery is learning how to look up for the potholes, yeah. to figure out how to pick yourself back up again, you know, to get your knee guards on, whatever you need to do yeah. to keep yourself moving forward. Yeah. You know, that's, I think, the great thing about peer supporters is that they've been there, they understand what it's like, and there's, there's yeah. no shame in having a relapse. It's just part of the process, and you get stronger every time. Yeah, and, and learning to have that compassion for self. Mm -hmm. The reality is we are human. Life is challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and at, at different points in our life, we need to reach out and get support. Yeah. And so you have a family and friends. We do. Yes. Yeah, so we try to have a kind of a wraparound support for folks. So we have, you know, our online chat, we've got our mentor, we've got groups, but we also recognize the really essential role that family and friends can play for someone's recovery mm. and caregivers need support too, you know, to know what, how, how they can be effective allies. 100%. Right? Yeah. So we have a, a drop in family and friends group that's run by um, one of our volunteers who um, helped her daughter through her eating disorder, helped her daughter come wow. out the other side. So we, we run that group um, every month. And folks can find out more information from our Facebook group or from our, our website, and we can connect them to that group as well. Yeah. 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 We also have a really exciting program coming up very soon. So we've, we've learned over the years that face-to-face um, -face groups can be challenging for folks, and, of course, being a small group, we're not able to reach out across the entire province and have face-to-face -face mm -hmm. groups everywhere. 
um, we recognize how um, successful the online chat has been in connecting with folks. Yeah. So April 30th, we're launching our online peer support group. Yay. And we've been so grateful. We've had support from TELUS and from Bell to make this vision a reality. Wow. So we'll be launching uh, a series of, of monthly groups so folks can uh, check out that program. We'll have information on our website very shortly, and they can sign up for our, our newsletter to make sure that they're in the know about that. Mm. Um, and they're, again, led by our trained peer mentors, and they're on topics that folks have identified as important to them. So we looked at, you know, what's, what's been popular topics for folks to explore in our face-to-face groups and our online yeah. chat. Um, so our first session is on uh, Pathways to Recovery, looking at what recovery could look like for you and what are some mm. early steps you might want to take on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going on to kind of develop into a whole bunch more content. We've got some great guest speakers, some guest moderators for the group. So we're really excited that we'll have this um, online group that's going to be accessible to anyone across the province. Mm-hmm. And that's so great. I mean, you know, in Nova Scotia, we have a lot of rural communities um, who are not immune, obviously, to mental mm-hmm. illness. Um, and we need to find different ways to reach out and include them. Mm-hmm. And online, we're seeing again and again evidence-based research saying that it is effective. Yeah. Yes, we would love to have face-to-face. That would be fantastic, but it's not realistic. Yeah. And in, in this situation, sometimes... Um, being able to be anonymous is a good thing. You know, sometimes we've heard from folks in, in smaller towns saying, I like, don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable going to a group because other people will see me at that group. So yeah. this provides folks an alternative to, to getting some support that's really accessible, that's low barrier. Um, they can be as anonymous as they want to be so they can, um, you know, have a pseudonym for the group. So it's, mm. it, we really want to remove any barriers for folks to get some support. Mm, I like that. And, and, um, Having family in rural communities, um, you know, I get about that privacy piece mm-hmm. because there's not a whole lot of privacy. Um, and with the stigma and shame still associated with eating disorders, mm-hmm. again, like you said, it's a barrier. Let's yeah. remove the barrier. Remove the barrier. Absolutely. For sure. And so you have a drop-in as well, do you not? We, we do. We have, so we have a, we keep varying our programs to meet folks where they're at and meet their, meet their needs. So we have yeah. a six-week group that wrapped up a few weeks back. Um, we'll probably have another six-week group coming up in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have drop-in groups as well. So if folks want to sign up for our, our, our e-newsletter, <laughs> um, they, can, they can do that through our, our Facebook page or through our website. And then they'll be in the loop about all of our upcoming programs and mm-hmm. follow us. Follow us online. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so you were talking about, too, that uh, you're just wrapping up a training for peer support workers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If there's individuals out there who have, you know, they're in recovery, they're feeling good, they, you know, want to give back and become a peer support worker, mm-hmm. how, how do they do that? Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we generally do a training about once a year, depending on resources, mm-hmm. depending on our resources. So we look for folks who have those amazing human skills, right, who are great communicators, warm and caring. Um, we look for folks who have two years' experience of being in recovery. Nice. So that's the key thing is we want them to have like enough time of being separated from the eating disorder where they've had a chance to really develop those recovery skills. Um, yeah. And then we do uh, 
about 35 hours of really in-depth training with them mm. before we kind of graduate them into to doing some peer support. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when they complete that training, Shailene, how many hours do they typically mm. need to commit to? Yeah. We, we usually say uh, between one and four hours per week. So we'll usually okay. match them with um, up to four folks they'll be providing support to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may meet that person an hour a week for coffee, or they may connect them via email or what have you. So it's between one and four hours per week, as mm-hmm. well as our, our quarterly community practices, which is a day-long training session, and then we do a monthly mentor meetup um, to do some troubleshooting and some support for them. Yeah, that's fantastic because, again... You need to support your peer yeah. support workers. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's that holistic approach, a wraparound mm-hmm. approach that you need to be, if you're giving, you also need to be receiving. Exactly. And that is part of mental health. That's, mm-hmm. the, you know, two of the pillars. I'm going to give to other, but I'm also going to get help from other. So that that's essential. And that's a sign mm-hmm. of a accountable and responsible agency so thank you for having that in place um and so for yourself um i'll just ask this what what would you ideally like to see occur in the next let's just say year Oh, the next year. Well, what would you, and I know usually, you know, as an organization, you come up with your own kind of, this is what we're going to focus on and try (laughs) to strive for. So uh, you may already have that dictated, I guess. Uh Yeah. Like grand scheme. So one thing I'm really excited about is uh, there's mental health first aid, right? Yes. So we're really excited because the adult version doesn't involve eating disorders, and the workers, um, people who work with youth, the eating disorder information is really, really outdated. Yeah. Right? So we're, I'm super pumped because we're working now with the Mental Health Commission nice. to update that information so that the hundreds of thousands of Canadians who take that training mm. will now have information on supporting folks with eating disorders. So to me, that's just I'm super excited by that. Yes. That, that one that one piece is going to be amazing. It is because you do reach so, and I've had the training, I've mm-hmm. had adults and youth, mm-hmm. and I can say that, yeah, I have no recollection of them talking about eating disorders. No. So I think that's been, you know, one of the challenges we faced as the sector of the eating disorders community is that we haven't been well connected to the general mental health community. And so we need to catch up and make sure that eating disorders are part of the conversation. Mm. So if I think, you know, there's one thing I'd like to see different a year from now, um, I'd like to see 300 people accessing our online chat. And I'd like Mm. to see 50 people accessing the the one-on-one support between now and the next year. Um, And I, of course, would love to have the resources to make that all happen and to to resource that. So we're looking at building more of our community partnerships and deepening our relationship with donors and funders to make that all happen. Mm. Yeah. And so, Shailene, how can individuals reach out to you, whether they want to donate money, donate time, mm-hmm. you know, do get some more information and support? How can they yeah. reach you? Great. So they can they can email me directly. So my email address is Shailene, which is spelled S-H-A-L-E-E-N, at eatingdisordersns.ca. And our website, of course, is eatingdisordersns.ca. We're also active on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So they can they can find us online. They can find us on the internet. Um, they can drop us an, uh, 
drop us a line. They can give us a call at 902-229-8436 if folks want to reach out the old-fashioned way. <laughs> um, and we'd love to hear from folks who, who also are passionate about this issue and want to work with us to kind of creating this, this future where folks don't have to be alone if they have an eating disorder. Awesome. That's great. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, on behalf of myself and my producer, Georgina Fitzpatrick, we want to thank you for being a listener for today's show and be empowered.